Welcome back, dear listeners, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod. What a weekend of football, the opening weekend of the final series was. And joining me to discuss all the talking points out of those four games, as well as just in general in the football world at the moment, and to preview two tantalizing semifinal matchups, I have with me Eli Duxon and Fraser Douglas. Gents, it's a pleasure to have you back on the podcast. Hope you guys have been doing well. Be back. Thanks for having me, Matt. Good to be here. As always, it's a pleasure to have you on. Basically, we'll discuss uh, the four games, what went right for the winners, what went poorly for the losers. We'll talk about the semifinals, who's going to win by how much and why. More specifically, we'll look at the four teams that lost on the weekend and we'll discuss kind of the major talking points surrounding them. But first and foremost, let's discuss two major talking points. One uh, two major talking points, one related to the action on the weekend, which is Toby Green and his suspension, and uh, the other one not related to any on-field action the last few days, but definitely off-field. Collingwood has a new head coach, and it is Craig McRae, the former triple premiership Brisbane Lion. Um, let's discuss Toby Green first. So I want to ask you guys, three weeks suspension, was it enough? AFL argued No because they said that the, uh, that the baseline punishment in country leagues or in local football leagues around the country is six weeks, and they're saying that it undermines the efforts in those leagues to protect umpires by having it significantly shorter for Toby Green. But players like Patrick Dangerfield have come out and said, well, actually, you shouldn't underestimate three weeks in a final series. Like, if the Giants win the premiership this year, Toby Green's not going to be a part of it. You know, shouldn't underestimate it. So, Eli, I'll start with you. The internet is starting to act up already. It's what, how long has it been? How long has it been? It's been what, three minutes? This has to be some kind of record. Oh man, I hope <laughs> it's probably just the wind messing. I don't even know how that's possible, but it's probably, I'm going to blame the wind for this. Um, Eli, <laughs> I'll, I'll ask your opinion. Three weeks, do you think that was too lenient, just right, or perhaps a little bit too harsh? Yeah, I think I'm wearing on the side of Patrick Dangerfield here. If three weeks ensures he had missed the grand final, uh, like he said. So I think that's as fair a punishment as it is. But I also understand where the AFL is coming from and they want to prevent this uh, things like this from happening in the future. Um, but to be fair, like you don't see this all that often. Um, the last one I remember was blocking Neil earlier in the year, tapping the umpire because he had blood <laughs> dripping down. Um, so you, there's, there's different intent on it but um i think three weeks is probably fair enough i'd love to be watching him play in the finals um because as a lot of people know and um even though he's much maligned by almost every person he's he gets people through the gates um so i think three weeks is just but if you said six to eight i'd be like sure if that's if that's what the afl thinks is suitable and that's what they think will set a precedent moving forward for other players and set an example in community football um then probably fair enough there Fraser, how about yourself? I'd probably agree with Eli. I mean, it's a tough one. You've got you end up with three weeks. And when I when I thought about it, when I thought about the MRO, and I mean they, they haven't had a great year, but three weeks is kind of what I thought they'd go with. Obviously, um, as Eli touched on, it's the finals. It sits him out for the finals. That's kind of what Paddy Dangerfield was touching on as well. Um, you can't you can't 
um, underestimate how important those games are for a team. But at the same time, I mean, you can't really look at it through that lens because it's like it should be any games. I mean, the it wasn't a great, it wasn't a good look at all. I mean, it made me when I saw it because I was, was intently watching the game. It was a big moment because it was the Swans were coming and it was like, what's going to happen here? Um, the tide was kind of turned since halftime where the Giants had that. And it just kind of made me wince when I saw him do it. It was kind of one of those moments where you're like, oh, what's he? You saw, you saw him walking towards the umpire. And I was like, you're not gonna, you're not gonna do something to Matt Stevie here. I mean, you can you can always, there's always um, there's always conversations with the umpires, but um, I mean it was tough to watch. And it's been obviously it's been through the media all week. And yeah, it's just not a great look. You've got to think about it in the context of of um of country footy and junior footy and those umpires who aren't protected by the the cameras and the lights of the AFL and they're not they're not they're certainly not paid like AFL umpires are. Not that I'm not that I'm saying that AFL umpires are paid a lot, but you've got to protect those people. Like junior players, they idolize um, their heroes that play every weekend on the on the big stage. And if they see Toby Green doing that kind of thing, I mean you he's like he pleaded um not guilty. I mean, I'm not sure that was a good look either. He clearly, it's not like it was one of those ones where you're like, oh, sorry. I, sometimes you see players and umpires walk into each other, run into each other by accident, but that clearly wasn't the case here. So I think we've got to be mindful of of the junior levels and um, and umpires at, at country and um, and um, those type of leagues. If I if I was thinking about it, I would probably say four to five weeks would be right. But I see it from both sides. I mean. Three weeks, you can kind of see where the MRO is coming from with um, kind of rubbing him out for finals and starting square next year. But I can definitely see where the AFL is coming from. And I'm, I've seen that they're, they're obviously pushing the, the appeal until after the season's done, which is interesting. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what comes of it. And I definitely wouldn't be surprised if it gets put up to um, four or five. Yeah, it's a good point. Good point that you that you both raised there, especially um with what you said, Fraser, the fact that he that fact that he pleaded not guilty to that. To to me, and um I'm I'm not sure if the um if the tribunal thought the same of that, but to me that kind of shows uh a lack of remorse. And I don't know whether or not he is remorseful. I don't know, but when you have an opportunity to show remorse in front of uh, a panel that that will decide your fate. I don't know why you wouldn't say, yeah, I, yes, I, I, I plead guilty to that. I was an idiot. I shouldn't have done that. Because um, <laughs> we've seen, we've seen, you know, the, um, the tribunal before in the past come down harder on people who, you know, said, yeah, not guilty. You know, it's always whenever somebody, whenever, you know, the AFL, uh, um, therefore reporters they'll write about the match review find it at the end of the weekend and they'll say in short such and such player you know with a guilty plea can accept a fine or can accept a one match suspension which always suggests that if they don't then that the punishment is going to be much harsher um, I'll admit when I first saw it I thought two to four weeks and so when it got three weeks I originally I thought that was okay and then I heard Gillian McLaughlin speak about it and I realized that he was right because, yes, you got to protect umpires and you got to set a good standard for country footballers and you got to protect umpires who don't play, uh, who don't um, umpire in the AFL and don't have the protection that comes with that. But also, 
This is Toby Green we're talking about. He's like, he's like the kid at school who is brilliant. You know, when he works hard, he, he gets straight A's, A pluses in every single one of his subjects, but he messes around, he gets suspended, he gets detentions left, right, and center. And I think finally this is the AFL saying, like, right, okay, we have we've had enough of your shenanigans. We have had absolutely enough. Um, and to be honest with you, uh, yeah, I think six weeks is is absolutely appropriate. Um, it's it's so disappointing that Toby Green did this. When I first saw it, I thought that's that was a really dumb thing to do. That's a really dumb thing to do. And rightly or wrongly, he's he's a player who the AFL, I think, will forevermore look at in a negative light whenever it comes to touchy situations that you know he he doesn't have the same leniency that other um that other players are given but at the same time it's it's, look at his track record look how many times it's been suspended look how many times he's had to front the tribunal you know it's he could be the best player in the league and he could be the most beloved player in the league and he keeps putting his foot in it and I just, man, if I was Leon Cameron, if the Giants lose this weekend or next weekend, or even if they made the grand final when they lose, it will most likely be off the back of Toby Green's harsh word, but idiocy, what he did there. Now, let's talk about Collingwood, new head coach, their 16th head coach. And for the first time in about 40 years or so, they haven't gone for a big name uh, player who's you know recently retired or a big name head coach that's available um, that's coming from another club and they have instead gone with someone who has not only premiership experience playing but has um, quite the CV when it comes to being an assistant coach at uh, at different places under a lot of wonderful 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 coaches I think he was saying Mark Williams um, at Port Adelaide Alistair Clarkson at Hawthorne. Damien Hardwick recently at Richmond. I want to ask you guys, Fred, I'll start with you. Uh, was Craig McRae the right decision or should Collingwood have gone for someone else? No, I think Collingwood made the right call. I think they've handled it pretty well. It's um, it's a good contrast with how Carlton's going at the moment with their own coach search. It seems like a bit of a shambles over at, um, over at the Blues. But, um, yeah, I think they made the right call in the sense that um, – He's not someone that has baggage coming with him and the fact that he's obviously got a great pedigree in terms of he spent time at the, at the, um, um, at the Hawks, at the Tigers, so under Clarkson and um, Hardwick, which is, um, should be so, quite sought after, I would have thought. He played under Lee Matthews. I mean, you don't get much better than that in terms of a, of a new coach these days. It was obviously... Um, Links they were linked to like Brad Scott and Russ Lyon, and I just think the way that Collingwood's um, pointed at the moment, it kind of on that precipice of a rebuild, but they're not. It's kind of like they've got they've still got some really good players, and um, it'd be interesting to see how they look at going going forward from here. Um, but um, yeah, I'm pretty happy with how they've handled it, especially um, as I mentioned in contrast with Carlton. And um, I think he'll be a good coach. You can kind of like see it. He was in his press conference. He was really, um, he's really looking forward to it. He kind of looks like one of those coaches that isn't going to take 
um, much crap from his players. And I kind of think that's what they need at this time. It's kind of like it gives me a similar um, kind of vibe to it the, when David Noble was um, introduced at um, North Melbourne. He kind of gave off that similar vibe. And obviously, we've seen North Melbourne have a really good um, – well, a lot around 23 wasn't very good against Adelaide, but they had a really good end to their um, year and there was some good signs. So I'm hopeful that um, Collingwood got this right after what has been a, a pretty rough year for, for their supporters. How about you, Eli? Uh, being a Brisbane supporter yourself, must have been pretty tough to see a, uh, to see a former Premiership Lion become a, a head coach of such a big club. Yeah, the that three-piece size leaving a pretty good legacy on the on the competition. But um, yeah, my dad really liked Craig McRae as a player, and like as a player to hold your spot in that team for, for three, four years in a row as a small forward, um, he obviously has a lot of ability in that aspect. But I think the best thing about him is he mentioned his his CV. He's spent time at a few successful clubs now, and he's been able to see quite a few different coaches go about it in their different ways um so always found in anything that i did and a lot of people do as well but the best way to learn is just by mimicking and you take things from everything and every everyone that you come across um and i think that if he's able to do that and well he's probably been able to do that now so if he had this job five six years ago um he might not be as effective he might not have been as effective as he could be uh now because he's been able to develop his coaching mindset and attitude um and a VFL uh, winning coach in 2019, I believe, um, he's able to, he knows what it takes to be that head coach um, and coach for success. So, um, yeah, like, like Fraser said, their list is in a pretty interesting spot. Um, so it's not something you'd think, well, he's going to take them to final straight away. They're certainly capable. They're probably a couple of players off, um, especially in that key position slot down forward. Um, but I, I think the way that they're shaping he can certainly give the fans a lot of hope. Um, and what was, like everyone knows, it was a dire year, a dire off-season last year. Um, they need something to be excited about. And I think a new coach with a fresh attitude, someone who hasn't come from another head coaching role um, in the AFL is probably the best thing for them. I think what Collingwood has done is the right call. Man, what a CV. Honestly, as, as you said, Eli, you cannot get a better uh, group of coaches to learn under, whether or not, you know, playing or being an assistant coach with men. What a group of teachers to learn from. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I also got that kind of um, that kind of uh, uh, vibe from him, Fraser, you know, not, he won't stand for any rubbish from his players. And, you know, I not that Nathan Buckley would, but you kind of felt almost like Nathan Buckley kind of lost the plays a little bit at the end. Um, but what I will say about Collingwood and their, you know, president drama is still yet to play out. It's an absolute disaster. Who's going to be president next year? Will it be Jeff Brown or Mark Corder? Who knows at this point? But I thought that during their press conference, one thing they said in particular really impressed me which was we're not going to put a timeline on when we want to return the finals. I think that's a great thing to say because it sets the fans' expectations, I think, realistically to, you know, say, hey, don't expect a super immediate, you know, kind of bounce back. 
compare that to Carlton, who when they finally dropped a guillotine on David Teague's neck, saying, we expect to play finals football in 2022, which automatically means that anything below eighth next year for Carlton is a failure. It's a failure of the season. So, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, I'm an Essendon supporter, but I'm, I'm excited for Collingwood. You know, I'm excited. Um, new head coach, I'm always excited to see how they go. Um, more often than not, they've done pretty well the last couple of years. New head coaches, Justin Longnewer doing great things at Fremantle. Um, Nick said Adelaide after a tough start to his coaching career there starting to turn things around and David Noble at North Melbourne. So yeah, kind of, I, I like it, you know, the coaching landscape is changing in the AFL and I think that's a wonderful thing. Now let's get on to the uh, results from the weekend. We'll go through each game starting with Thursday night and ending with uh, Sunday. Sorry, starting with Friday night and then ending with Sunday. Um, we'll discuss what went right for the winner and what went wrong for the loser. Let's start off with uh, Port Adelaide, Beating Geelong by 43 points. I'll start off with this one if that's all right. What went right for the winner? Quite simply, Aaliyah, Aaliyah, and Orazio Fantasia. And I have to tip my hat to the Port Adelaide recruiting department, the recruiting team, because without those two-star recruits, they probably wouldn't have won that game on Friday night. I thought the rest of the team was good, Port, but... Fantasia kicking four goals. Let's hope that he's okay for the prelim final. And Aaliyah Aaliyah constantly repelling Geelong forward 50 uh, entry after entry after entry, especially in that first quarter when the game was still up for grabs. That set up their win. And those two players, I think those two players, maybe alongside Robbie Gray, will decide whether or not Port Adelaide wins the premiership this year. What about you, Eli? What went well for Port? You're absolutely right. Aaliyah Aaliyah's first quarter was... Just unbelievable. He was I, I, literally a day after they announced the All-Australian team which, where he gets named center off back. He just goes and proves everyone right if, if they predicted he'd be in that side. And um, they set the tone early, but for the rest of the game, they just dominated possession. Um, they were much cleaner with the ball. They applied more pressure around the contest, especially in their forward field. 50. I think it was 12 tackles to three inside forward 50. And you can see that when John was trying to get out of there, Lockie Henderson had a few slip-ups. Um, without Tom Stewart, um, it looks like they're really hurting back there, Geelong's defensive half. Um, but, yeah, they were just much cleaner and stronger all night. And um, they looked really good. Like, you, you sort of doubt them at times, Port Adelaide. There's, you do have justifiable reasons that they can't go all the way. But then watching them play on Friday night, um, it was honestly – it's honestly hard – um, to see them not possibly going all the way in terms of making the grand final, um, but as whether they can keep that up for the four quarters and over the next, well, not a few weeks, but in their next game. Before I get to you, Fraser, major news uh, as reported on the age. Um, they've just come across, Fraser, very interesting, Ross Lyon has pulled out of the head coaching job at Carlton. That is fascinating because every single thing in the media had been pointing towards uh, Ross the boss being the new head coach of the Carlton Football Club. And so now he's pulled out. Alistair Clarkson pulled out. Obviously, it won't be David Teague. So um, let's, let's, let's discuss these games first, and then we'll get back to Carlton later. But I want to ask you guys, who Carlton should go for next? Because, you know, hearing Brad Scott's name being thrown around, but we'll get to that in a second. Fraser, how about you? Uh, what went well for Port 
Um, it was uh, it was a dominant performance on the power. And while 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 you're at it, uh, poor night for Geelong. What went wrong for them? I think what went right for Port was, um, I mean, their pressure was um, it was insane. I mean, it was kind of reminiscent of last year. I mean, this year, I don't feel like they've recaptured the heights of their best that they had. At um, I mean that um, the qualifying final they had last year against Geelong. That's they played. It was kind of a similar game. That's kind of what I felt. I mean, even the the scoreline was was more in favour of Port this time, but it still felt similar. Like Port played well. It wasn't like someone kicked five. I mean, Fantasia did kick four. Um, their midfield was really good, but it wasn't like sensational. It was just like a team, good team performance. What you guys touched on, Aaliyah. I mean, that first quarter, that was sensational. And Eli touched on the All-Australian. I wasn't, even myself, I must admit, wasn't sure if he should have been in that um, All-Australian team. I feel like he has had points where he's been beaten um, throughout the year. But, I mean, you gotta you got to give credit to him. He was, I mean, he was just sensational. That's just the only way you can put it. And um, against a really good forward line too. So, um, full credit to him. But yeah, I thought just Port's pressure, and that's their that's what they base their game around. Like Charlie Dixon's one, and he didn't really impact the game. But to still find a way and to win comfortably, and they put themselves in that box seat. They've had a really good um, back end of the year, and um, yeah, they're they're absolutely in the box seat to make the grand final. I think they'd start a um, heavy favorite against the Dogs or the Lions. As for Geelong. When I look at Geelong on a ground like um, Adelaide Oval and we'll see them on Optus Stadium, it's a big ground and they get expo- exposed for speed. And it's tough because we know their um, the list profile, they're, they're old. They're not, they're not overwhelmingly young. They don't have the same list profile as a Port Adelaide who has a lot of youth coming through. Um, they've, got, they've obviously got their injury problems, Geelong. Um, Tom Stewart, as Eli touched on, is a huge out. They should get... Zach Tui back this week, but um, O'Connor will go out. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how they bounce back. Yeah, but I mean Geelong just didn't play well. Like they were fumbly. Lockie Henderson looked like he did two years ago. We've seen him kind of return to good form, but he wasn't good. Um, we saw Gary Rowan got moved to the back line. That gave me nightmares from the 2016 Grand Final where he forgot to show up for the game. Um, it was tough viewing. I think for Geelong, um, speed speed kills and they can't really fight fire with fire in that department, so they're going to have to look elsewhere. So I'm expecting selection um, changes to be made. I expect their forward line to look a bit different um, uh, this weekend, that's for sure. I'm going to uh, read out, I think, the most important um, numbers here. Fantasia, four goals from nine disposals. Motlop, two goals from 15 disposals. Pal Pepper, two goals. Butters, kid to goal. Robbie Gray, Laddams and Marshall, kid to goal as well. Uh, Geelong, only multiple goal kicker, Tom Hawkins with two. Jeremy Cameron, one goal, two. Uh, Joel Selwood, kid to goal. And Sam Simpson, kid to goal. Uh, no goals to either of their Ruckman, Blitzars or Stanley. Um, Dalhouse, six touches, no goals. Um, Dangerfield had an okay game, but no goals, didn't impact the scoring. Mitch Duncan, 
higher number of disposals, didn't impact the scoring. Guthrie, quiet game by his lofty standards, just 17 touches, no goals. Um, uh, just seeing here, Isaac Smith, no goals, 23 touches. He was okay. And Gary Rowan, who for some reason was played in the back line, zero goals from 12 touches. It's interesting. I read a stat. I think it's something like now he's played in 21 finals in his career across Geelong and Sydney. And fair, fair play to him. That's a pretty impressive number. But he's kicked only 14 goals in those 21 games. Now, if this was soccer, as is what we were talking about, 21 goals in 14 games, so that would be, yeah, that's pretty, oh, sorry, 14 goals in 21 games. Oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's an okay strike rate. But this is Aussie rules. A game that's supposed to be high scoring. And yet, on a night where the power didn't even crack 90 points, Geelong still got hammered. They kicked five goals, 13. I think the last five seasons, their lowest score of the season has now come during that first week of the finals. You know, beforehand, you could blame the bye because they never play well after the bye. What's their excuse this time around? They haven't had a bye yet. They're absolutely shocking. I don't know what it is about first week of finals in Geelong, but they are allergic to playing good football during that stretch. Now let's get on to what was a thrilling Sydney Derby. I'm sorry, Fraser, that we're going to have to talk about this. Uh, Swans and the Giants. I'll, um, if it's all right, I'll start off with this one as well. The Giants, that second quarter won them the game. Just absolute dominant. It reminded me of, the, uh, the game between them earlier in the season, round 18, well, by halftime, the Giants were leading comfortably. And once again, it came down to, well, that burst in the second quarter. It's kind of like that prelim final they had against Collingwood in 2019, where it's that burst in the second quarter and then just holding on for dear life by the skin of their teeth in the last when Collingwood just kept attacking, attacking and attacking. Maybe a little bit of good fortune that Collingwood missed all those uh, shots that they did towards the end of that game. And the exact same carbon copy of that game, again, on the weekend down in Tasmania. Um, congrats to Tasmania. Two games of finals football. Got great crowds at both of them, considering the, uh, considering the restrictions. But, man, it was disheartening, <laughs> the end of that game. Just kept missing, 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 missing. And for the Swans, yet again, they afforded the Giants too much leg, uh, too much leg rope, just like in round 18. It was almost like they didn't learn their lesson. I remember I went for a walk during the second quarter. I was just checking the score, and I checked the score at halftime, and I thought, right, I know exactly how this is going to go. We're going to come back, and we're going to fall just short. And sure enough, life imitates bloody art, and that's exactly what happened. Fraser, I'll let you start off with this one. What went well for the Giants, and what went well? Uh, what went sorry poorly for the Swans? Well, I think you've got to um, you've got to credit the the Giants' backline. Um, Sam Taylor, we know he's a really good player, and I thought uh, Jake Jake Steen had a really um, really good game, probably his best game for the club. I mean, as you mentioned, Sydney were just coming harder and harder, and they, to be fair, they blew a lot of chances. We saw. Um, Tom Hickey and James Bell missed shots from about 25 metres out with no angle to speak of and couldn't do it. And then they, then Buddy had a shot from bit beyond 50 and he couldn't get it. And it was just like, it was just felt like it was going to be one of those moments. I thought we might get 
might get a bit of extra time to spice it up. Good thing we had one close game for the for the for the weekend because otherwise it would have been a pretty average opening weekend of finals. But yeah, I mean the Giants. Yeah, I, I love their back line. Um, stood up against a lot of pressure in that second half. Um, their midfield, like Taranto, Perryman and Kelly, they were all strong. I thought Jesse Hogan did his bit. I was really surprised. Um, Zach Sproul really stood up. He was um, he was really good. Um, full credit to him. He was um, didn't expect it from him, and he he showed he showed he's capable with the level. So um, I think he's on a one year deal, so he should get another go around. So good luck to him. Um, for the Swans, I mean, as you said, it was just kind of like so a bit of deja vu to the last time they played. They got well. They I think it might have been a sixty point turnaround in round eighteen that you um, referenced there, Casper, but it wasn't to be on this occasion. And, I mean, they only have themselves to blame. They they had plenty of chances to win the game in that last five minutes and they just couldn't do it. So, um, yeah, it was a disappointing end to the season, but, I mean, there's still plenty to be happy about if you're a Sydney fan. An incredible season indeed. 16th to elimination final in one year. That's a, that's a pretty good ride. So how about you, Eli? What, in your opinion, went well for the Giants? Why did they win this game? Why did the Swans lose? Yeah, I think it's... um you, You've both touched on it already. It's, they had enough chances in that last quarter to win the game. Um, and, yeah, it was Sydney's to lose. They All the KBIs are pretty similar. Um, they dominated the inside of 50s, which was clear in the, at the end of the game. And they could have very easily won the game by two or three goals, but... Um, as a Brisbane fan, I know if you miss miss those easy opportunities, yeah, yeah, you're hard pressed to get more. Um, but I was similar to you, Fraser. I just thought, and you, Casper. I just thought they were gonna keep coming and they would just get over the line, just. But um, wasn't to be. But for GWS, um, the backline, as Fraser mentioned, were fantastic. But out of the middle, they got a slight edge in the clearances, and that's off the back of guys like Perryman, Taranto, Kelly. I think Kelly had nine clearances. Callum Ward, who didn't have a massive disposal game, he still had 19, but um, he was instrumental in there playing that inside mid-roll. So um, GWS just got to keep that contest going in the middle because that's probably their strongest uh, strongest part of their game. And, yeah, Sam Taylor, who's come on and leaves some bounds this year. Um Isaac Cummings, what you said of that back 50 is another thing they've added this year, which is very strong, kind of hard in there as a small to medium defender is not, is also another player that's come on pretty well. Um, so they get a little bit of speed injected back there, which wasn't an essential for them, but it certainly helps. So um, it's, it's yeah, that was Sydney's to lose all day, every day. Um, but GWS did well to hold them off and um, yeah, bit of luck sometimes happens um, in these Contrary to the NBA and um, where you've got a seven-game series, if you're the better team, you'll get that chance to come back and win. Um, but finals footy in the AFL, you got to love it. If you're, you're off for that that quarter or half a game or 10 minutes, that's all it takes sometimes. So um, GWS took their opportunity and um, looking forward to see how they go next week. I do love that about Aussie rules. I'm so glad that we don't have for our finals and for the grand final of, you know, seven game series, you got to win four of them to, to, to win. I'm so glad we don't have that because it's, as you said, you know, 20 minute laps, you got to be good for 120 minutes, almost every single game of the season, especially in finals, if you want to win. And this one simply weren't good enough. Um, no offense, Eli, but speaking of not quite good enough this weekend, let's discuss 
Brisbane versus Melbourne. It was a great first quarter of football. And then the Demons uh, powered away to a strong win at the Adelaide Oval. Um, Eli, I'll let you start off with this one. What went well for the Demons and uh, what didn't go quite so well for your Lions? I don't think it was a matter of things not going well or going well. Um, I think it was just a matter of Demons just much better. Um, Are they a much better side? Um, I think they've shown that they're a much better side than almost every team in the competition. And I stand by the fact that if they play like they did or um, even slightly less, I think that they're going to be hard to stop um, come the last two weeks, the last two games of the season. Um, McStay going down early was a key though. Um, They really put us behind losing Hipwood a handful of weeks ago. We only had the two key forwards and we know May and Lever's dominance in the air is so strong. And they've got guys like Harry, um, they've got guys like Harrison Petty who can take that tall, tall forward and allow one of them to roam around freely, which uh, Jake Lever was doing quite um, extensively. Um, so McStay would have made one of Lever or May accountable, um, but they were just able to zone off, get an extra at the contests. Um, so they dominated the air and they were equally dominant at ground level. Uh, they were stronger, cleaner, hungrier. Um and yeah, they were just they were just so bloody good. Uh Lockie Neal had at 46 disposals, which is unbelievable. But because of Melbourne's pressure, his kind of 46 disposals wasn't wasn't enough. Normally you get someone getting that much of the footy, you'd think, well, they're gonna at least be close in it, uh, close to the game. And Lockie had I think like 13 clearances. Um, he was very effective with the ball, but there just wasn't enough people going with him. Um our yeah, that you can't pinpoint one thing because Melbourne were just much better. That's that's simply all there is to it. Um, our backline was just overwhelmed, um, and our forward line wasn't functioning without that second tall. Uh, Charlie Cameron was fantastic early, um, all for the whole game, of course, getting five goals. But um, he was a part of the reason that we were in it at quarter time. But um, yeah, Melbourne's Melbourne's height down back just took control, and they were able to dominate the game quite easily. What about uh, you, Fraser? What went well for the Ds? What uh, didn't go quite so well for Brisbane? Well, what didn't go right for Brisbane was Nikai Cockatoo's knee. Um, that's, that's as far as I could say there. But I yeah, could not agree more with Eli. I think Melbourne is clear, clear premiership favourites now. I mean, Brisbane, like, to their credit, they were in touch in that first quarter. And as uh, Eli mentioned, Charlie Cameron was superb got goal side of his opponent a couple of times. But from then on, it was just kind of all Melbourne and you just never felt Brisbane got close a couple of times. They managed to peak back the margin, but you just never felt they were going to um, get on top. I mean, other than Neil, I thought Melbourne just completely dominated. That's where um, Melbourne builds their game other than obviously their um, backline built around Stephen May and Jake Lever. Melbourne had 22 more contested possessions, which is, that's an absolute mauling and um, Brisbane will have to do better against the dogs if they want to beat them. Um, that just shows the intent of Melbourne at the moment. They just know how to win. Brisbane had, I mean, obviously we had, I mentioned mixed day and so did Eli. I mean, two contested marks Brisbane had, Melbourne had 12. Um, that's not going to get it done. 15 marks inside 50 to five. The stats, I mean, the more I looked at them, the more I just thought, um, I mean, it was it was ugly. It could have been worse on the scoreboard. I mean, thanks to Charlie Cameron, he kind of kept them in touch because I feel like it was um, a bit of Charlie, Charlie Cameron or bust at times. 
Um, Danaher, like, he's not going to get um, going when he's got to deal with Stephen May and Jake Lever flying around everywhere. I mean, yeah, it was tough. Yeah, obviously, the McStay thing. I mean, when you lose a play like that so early, it's just, it's really tough. I mean, I kind of imagined going in, I feel like they'd almost tag a lever. So, like, even if you put, like, a... I mean, in Brisbane's case, he'd like say to Tom Forson, stand next to Jake Lever and don't leave his side for the for the remainder of the game. And I feel like that's what other teams who face Melbourne are going to have to do. He's just that good. When Lever came over to Melbourne from Adelaide, that's what teams were doing because Lever was flying at that stage. And um, obviously they didn't have the same level of consistency across their back line that they do now, but they just kind of sat on Lever and there was that season there when he first came over where it was kind of a question mark, did they ever pay? And now they look silly in, in hindsight, but yeah, that's what I would be doing if I was an opposition coach. So um, Geelong next week, that'll be interesting if they win that. I'm not sure what GWS would do because they're so undermanned in that um, forward line department and they don't have as many tools, but um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. The more I looked at the stats, as I touched on, the more I felt I'm definitely going to be... I'm hoping that Brisbane win this, um, the game they've got coming up, and then we can get Brisbane-Port because I feel like they've been two of the top four sides over the last few years, and I feel like one of those sides deserves to make a grand final. But the more I looked at the stats, the more um, nervous I would be as a as a Lions fan. Sorry, Eli. No, that's all right. But you're completely right. Like, even mentioning even like a possible tag on someone like Lever, we had to play to Melbourne. And I think every side is going to have to do that from here on out because in that second quarter, we're just moving it far too slow. We're just so predictable and they're able to set it behind the ball and just repel so easily. Um, but like you said, there was that glimpse where you think, oh, we might be back in this. We, we could have a tilt at it. That was when we were moving the ball. Like we're hitting the 45s. We're getting the handball receives running past. We're moving it quick. They weren't able to set up as efficiently. I think we got to within maybe two and a half to three goals. Yeah. Um, and you thought, well, we just need to keep in distance here. Um, but we played probably as good a quarter we played in that third quarter um, because that first quarter was very in the balance. It the start of a finals game on a Saturday night. It's, it's going to be hot and um, inconsistent, but that third quarter we played quite well and we still couldn't even really get within striking distance. So um, yeah, Melbourne, they were just bloody awesome and full credit to them as Stafford is to say. I think this stat in particular speaks to how great the pressure from Melbourne was. Um, eight goals, five, 53 from midfield intercept possessions for Melbourne, as opposed to Brisbane who scored three goals. That's, incredible that is dominant that is dominant now um i feel like melbourne they had a uh, a pretty even share of contributors throughout their back line midfield forward line their forward line finally clicking into gear it's great to see that it's working in finals and you know when they they're, they're continuing that form from their last few games of the home and away season compare that to brisbane where it's almost like if you take Charlie Cameron and Lockie Neal away from that performance, there was no one who really stood up for Brisbane. And I think um, Fraser touched on it. Joey Danaher, he just seems to struggle against the best defenders in the competition. You know, you saw that struggle against um, Lever and May. And if the Lions win, then he has to come up against Aaliyah Leah. 
which I think uh, he'd be sweating bullets about because Aaliyah Aaliyah has proven the fact that he's quite possibly the most important defender, the best defender in the competition. Um, speaking, yeah, it's just, there was no real kind of even contributors for Brisbane. And it speaks to how dominant Melbourne were that they went goalless in that third quarter. And yet, as you mentioned, Eli, despite that, they were still in control entering that last quarter. They still had a, a, almost a match-winning lead despite not kicking a goal in that third. So full kudos to Melbourne. Um, let's go on to Sunday. I'm not looking forward to discussing this game. But I'll let uh, you start off with this one, Fraser. 6,200 and whatever, I don't care anymore. Honestly, I've, I've lost track and I, I just don't care anymore. I don't care. I'm so looking forward to when that smug Twitter account finally <laughs> gets turned back to zero. That will be the happiest day of my life. Whenever that happens, it will be the happiest day of my life. And I'm including all of my future days as well, including, you know, if ever I have kids, their birth <laughs> will come second to that Twitter account finally returning to zero. It was a dominant display after halftime by the dogs. Fraser, how did they do it? What went well for them? And what didn't go well for the Bombers? I mean, as you mentioned, that um, fame Twitter account, um, as a as a neutral observer, if I said <laughs> I didn't want to see it keep on it keep on ticking, sorry to say, mate. <laughs> I don't blame. I do not blame you at all. Don't blame. I'm sure. You yeah, I'm sure it'll end soon. But it was it was an it was a weird game. It was kind of hard to watch because you kind of wanted like you wanted a you wanted a spectacle, obviously. Um, but it felt like a top four side, which the dogs were most of the year versus a bottom of the eight side, which um, Essendon obviously managed to find their way in there at the back half of the year. Um, for me, the dogs, I mean, the dogs were the best, even at the start, the dogs were the better team. You could just kind of, you could just feel it. Um, but Essendon, like they hung tough um, to their credit. They've obviously built up some really good form um, in the latter stages of the year. Um, just a quick shout out to Cody Waitman, who will be booed into oblivion the next time these two face off in Melbourne. Um, <laughs> you'd love to have him on your team. Absolutely. But um, yeah, I mean, the Bombers, they failed to kick a goal after half time. That's been well, document- well documented. That was jarring viewing as the dogs kind of ran away with it. Um, slight flashbacks to the grand final of 2016, which I mentioned before. Um, the dogs, I mentioned um, the um, Brisbane. Uh, uh, who are coming up against the dogs they the dogs won the contested possessions by 22 which is kind of what they were doing when they were flying in that middle part of the year before they started to kind of lose their way a bit in the middle of the ground so that's a really good sign um that was definitely where they've won their game i thought although i mean it took essence credit they um they fought really hard in there um i thought the decision to move josh dunkley onto parish was was pretty big um for the bombers where they lost it um, I just don't think Essendon's forward line is quite there yet. They're obviously without um, Anthony McDonald, Tim and Woody, and that hurts. I mean, that that's um, that's you'd bank on almost a goal, definitely if he's playing, potentially two or more. So um, that absolutely hurts. So I'm not sure if I'm an Essendon supporter. I'm thinking, I mean, there's plenty of good signs if you're an Essendon fan. You've obviously seen their youngsters. You've got like Cox and Perkins and there's plenty of others that I'm missing there. Ridley, of course, he looks like a sensational player. Um, Draper, he looks great going forward. I'm sure he'll be a, um, a really good ruckman for the years to come. But 
that forward line's the issue for me. I'm pretty happy. I mean, the back line could always use um, maybe one more key position players to just keep that depth there. Obviously losing someone like a, um, a Patrick Ambrose, who I really thought was a really good player a few years ago. And unfortunately, he's had to retire. They've lost Kale Hooker, who had the, had that versatility that he could um, switch between either end of the ground. And obviously, he's retired now. So that's the need for the team coming into the offseason. But um, uh, one question I did have for you, Casper, was um, with Dylan Scheel. Where does he fit into the equation for you? Because, I mean, we've obviously seen the emergence of of uh, Darcy Parish and the midfield's looking good, but um, I just wanted to ask you, is there still room in the midfield for him? I think so. You know, I think depth in the midfield is the reason why the dogs midfield is arguably the best in the competition is because of all that depth. And you look at it and you're like, how on earth can they all fit? But it works. So it's just about striking that right balance. And I think shield kind of provides that, uh, that big body midfielder that we kind of, been really missing since Joe Watson retired so you know that's kind of the reason why we've got him from from the Giants is because you know he kind of brings that that big physical presence the only problem with him is that and it's been this way for ever since he's come across to the Bombers his disposal efficiency leaves yeah. a lot to be desired he you know gets a fair amount of it but what does it matter if 50 percent of them or 30 40 percent of them uh, turnovers, you know, so he, he needs to work on that. But if he works on that, then it'll be one of the most damaging midfielders in the competition. So I I don't agree because I saw that there were some people in the media saying Bombers need to get rid of him. Yeah. Don't think that's true. I think that's an overreach because God forbid, but if we get an injury to say Darcy Parish next year, then, you know, it's almost kind of like his time to shine and kind of like reclaim that position as one of our most important midfielders. But, um, yeah, no, he, he's an important cog in the machine, that's for sure. How about you, Eli? Uh, what went well for the dogs and what went terribly for the Bombers, aside from everything? Everything went horribly <laughs> for the Bombers, but what in particular? I think what you're saying is a team that could have very well finished first, going up against a team that was blessed by some other results going their way and scraping their way into eighth spot. Um, I think there was just a, a genuine mismatch in terms of ability, but um, Essendon still... Like as you saw from much of the game, especially that first half, they were capable of, of staying in it. But um, the wet weather, when it became a bit of a wet slog at times, it didn't really suit them um, because dogs were just able to be much cleaner and more aggressive and physical at the contest. Um, but the biggest turning point is, as Fraser brought his name up, but Cody Wayman, a couple of goals before three-quarter time, um, was, it probably just put a bit of a damper in the, uh, in the Essendon sales and Josh Hackey kicking a goal as well, which um, credit to him is actually um, playing a role for, for the dogs, which I couldn't see happening when he's a part of Brisbane. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, doggies, you knew they couldn't play as poorly as they finished the season for another game, um, especially an elimination final. Um, just by losing Josh Bruce, last time I was on the podcast, Casper were talking about Bruce and um, whether him... Uh, his injury was super detrimental to their final chances. And I, I was sure that it wasn't because other players would come in and play a role. They'll just change change up their structure a little bit. And I had a bit of egg in my face for a few weeks there, but um, they, they, they clearly showed that they're just a genuine, that they should have been a top four side. And I think Brisbane were lucky to scrape into there personally. So um, we had results go away as well. But um, Essendon, they've got nothing to be ashamed about. They, they overachieved this year. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I think everyone, every single one of their fans would be stoked 
that they made the finals um, when, um, as has been well documented, no expert or apparent expert um, gave them a chance of making the finals. And I was certainly one of them. Um, not saying I'm an expert, I'm saying I was one that was just counting them out. So, um, yeah, I think it was just a, a mismatch in ability. That's that's what it boiled down to in the end. And um, a few key moments going the dog's way and they capitalised. The Bulldogs midfield were smashed by the Bombers in round 21, um, in particular in the clearances and the centre clearances especially. And it was bemusing to, to look at the stats after that game because you're looking at it thinking, on paper, this is a team that should absolutely hammer a midfield like the Bombers who really have to rely on Darcy Parrish and Jake Stringer and that's about it. Um, this time around, that's exactly what happened. The Dogs midfield stepped up. Uh, Trelaw had a great game. Lippitore had a great game. McRae had a great game. A fantastic all-round performance from the Dogs midfield and from their forward line as well. I was looking at the weather forecast before the game and I was thinking, okay, this is not going to be a game for big forwards. So, you know, Peter Wright is going to struggle. Um, but that should also mean that Aaron Norton is going to struggle and Waitman is going to struggle because, you know, nobody's going to be able to take marks. Um, well, I was half right. It was not a good game for Peter Wright, but the Dogs midfield, they were playing, it was, it was their, their midfield and forward line was almost like they were playing with a dry ball. It was a fantastic, it just constant marks everywhere. Four goals to Cody Waitman, three goals to Aaron Norton, two to Mitch Hannon, two to Shaki. Um, one to Smith and Vandermeer. That's a good spread of goal kickers. And in a wet weather game, you don't have to kick a big score. You just have to kick a reasonable score. And chances are you're going to win. Uh, as for what went well, or what went poorly for the Bombers, it was almost like it was Darcy Parrish and Zach Merritt, and that was it. Uh, our forward line was scintillating against the dogs under the roof, but in the rain, we really struggled. Four goals, 12 as well. Yikes, especially in that first half, especially in that first quarter when the game was up for grabs. I kind of thought that we were the better team in that first quarter, maybe a little bit biased, but we kicked one goal four. I had to have four goals one, and that almost changes the entire dynamic of that first half. And who would have known what happened after that? Also, I just want to say this. I just want to say this. I shouldn't have to be saying this. No one should have to be saying this because I, I would think that people were responsible enough and grown up enough to not do this. But unfortunately, we have to discuss the Anthony McDonald to Woody racist comment and the uh, hate directed towards certain Bulldogs players, especially Cody Waitman. Now, we've brought up racists a lot this year on the footy podcast because for some reason, 2021 has seemed to be the year where they decided to crawl out of their hobbit holes and go on the internet keyboard warriors and voice their opinion of Indigenous players um, and Tiwi Island players. And to be honest with you, I'm sick and tired of it. I am absolutely sick and tired of it. And this particular person, I didn't see what they wrote. Didn't matter. Um, exactly. Didn't see what they wrote. Uh, apparently, Essendon tried to reach out to them and they didn't return any of the calls, didn't respond to any of the emails, which just shows how much of a coward they are. Like what? You think you're so high and mighty to just freaking say whatever you want to say, but not face the consequences. And I know for a fact that these people who, who you know, say racist comments towards Tip and Woody or Patty Ryder earlier this year or any of the other players, you know, Adam Goods back in the day as well, anyone who says that, especially on social media, 
saying that to someone's face, they wouldn't have the guts to do that because they, because then they would have to face up to their consequences. They would have to face up to their consequences immediately. And just uh, absolutely heartbreaking. It, why why you would do that to anyone? I have no idea. But especially to Tip and Woody, like he's such a nice guy. He's such a great guy, such a lovable guy, such a lovable player. Honestly, low life. Whoever did that, absolute low life. And with Cody Waitman, honestly, right? Yeah, I was frustrated with a couple of the free kicks that he got. It's not his fault. You know, I think Matthew Lloyd pointed it out. It's, it's, it's an umpiring mistake. It's not like he added mail to it at all. And even if he did, it's a game. It's just a game. It's just a sport. That's it. Honestly, anyone who thinks that a sport result is justifiable reason to to go and harass someone on social media you need a good hard look at yourself honestly ridiculous absolutely ridiculous um with all that being said what was that free kick that cody whiteman got where zach merritt bumped him like honestly right you're allowed to bump you know, and it's like he, he bumped as he kicked it, or maybe just a fraction of a second afterwards. You're allowed to bump. The umpire paid it for a push. It wasn't a push. It was a bump. And you're still allowed to push a play. You just can't push him in the back. Honestly, it was, it was ridiculous. But anyways, good kicking. I'll say that. Good kicking. Um, especially that goal from the boundary line. Very impressive. But anyways, that's my diatribe over. Uh, overall, pretty terrible weekend of football. To be honest, I was hoping that it would have been a lot better, but oh well. Um, let's discuss more in depth. I want to ask you specifically about the uh, four losers going forward. Geelong, we've mentioned their awful finals record. Eli, let's start with you. What do they need to do to prepare better for finals? Because clearly there's something wrong that they're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because... It's been a couple of years where, like like Fraser mentioned earlier, it's pretty much identical, identical game, almost identical scoreline for the Cats. They hit five twelve last year and five thirteen this year. Um, it's it's a mixture of taking better shots, matching the opposition in the contest. But uh, we saw last week it wasn't that they were terrible in the finals. They met, uh, last week, sorry, uh, last year, yeah, they they weren't terrible in the finals. They came out and absolutely spanked Collingwood and one of them most amazing turnarounds you, you'll see um, and spank Brisbane as well the following week. Um, so it's probably just a shift in application and mindset that they didn't quite make, um, but we can't write them off as a non, we can't write them off as not as finals ready side. They're, they're certainly bloody capable. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to put a finger on what exactly it is. Cause I'm sure they're trying to do that themselves or they've tried to do that and they might've found something, but, it's probably a case of move on. They know what their best footy looks like um, and they know what works for them. And hopefully they bring it this week. It's yeah, probably mostly just an application and mindset thing for me um, and a combination of Port Adelaide just playing some very good footy. How about you, Fraser? Since 2011, when they won the flag, first week of the finals, doesn't matter if there's a pre-finals buy or not the pre-finals buy, Geelong has won once in the opening weekend of finals since then. And that was in 2016 because Isaac Smith missed. That was it. That's the only reason why they won. Had he kicked that goal, they would have lost that one as well. So I want to ask you, what what should they be doing different? 
Well, people bring up the buy thing a lot, and I think that's just um, an excuse for nothing, really. I mean, it's a tough question because, I mean, you know, it's not like they're preparing any differently to um, any other final sides. I bet they're probably they'd be going about their business the exact same way they would be throughout the home and away season. And for me, um, you mentioned since 2011. I mean, the list has, I mean, the list, in when they won in 2011, it wasn't a young list, but it was one of the better lists um, that we've seen in the last 20 years, just because it was such a great side. Um, those Geelong teams and the the um, those teams of like Collingwood and St Kilda through that period, those are some of the better teams of the last 20 years. That's um, simple. But since then, I mean, as the, the decade's gone into the new decade now, the list profile has changed. They have a lot of, um, they're the oldest uh, list in the competition. Um, so it's kind of a matter of changing your game style um, as your list changes. And I'm not sure they've done that as well as they can. It's also a matter of um, changing how you play and how you line up against who you're playing. They got, Eli mentioned it just then, they've had two years um, in a row of, getting blown away by Port Adelaide in the first week of the finals was like, surely um, they can't just get smacked again first week of the finals, but it just seems to keep happening. For mine, um, they just, they, I mean, they didn't play well. If we're, if we're talking about last, um, last weekend, they just, they were, sh- they were shocking really. They're fumbly. Um, we've, t- we've touched on it already, but um I feel like they've just got to work out how they line up. I mean, they're, I mentioned speed before. There's, they're not a quick team and Port is, Port is a quick team. So how do you, how do you mash up against that? Do you look to bring in, do you look to go as quick as possible? And whether that means maybe not playing a Lockie Henderson and going smaller in your back line, but then that leaves you up to damage from players like, Charlie Dixon, who you hope to um, double team at times. But um, in the case of Geelong, especially coming into the Giants, I think they've got an opportunity to kind of um, figure out how they want to attack the rest of the final seats of the final series. They've got a good chance to win that and they should win that game. And if they don't, then gee, it's a write-off for that um, the whole season. But um, you've got someone like a, a Sava Radigalia in and out of the side. I think now is the time where you give him a good chance at um, showing that he can play um, when it matters, when the chips are down. Um, so I'd be moving the magnets around, whether that means you move Jeremy Cameron up the field. We obviously touched on Gary Rowan and his record in finals. I'm surprised he kicked that many goals that you mentioned in that stat cast, but I thought it would have been less than that. Got someone like a Luke Dahlhouse who I think will probably – be dropped this week. He wasn't flashed on the weekend. His pressure just isn't good enough. <laughs> Brad, I don't know how Brad Close is feeling right now, but gee, they could have been finishing on the top, playing the lines. They probably would have knocked them off last week and they, they would have been in a prelim. And instead, they're a chance to go out in straight sets. I don't think that'll happen, but it's definitely still a chance. So I think they've got to throw the magnets around and um, whether that means they'll get over the line and maybe give Melbourne a run for their money, I doubt it. I think Melbourne's a step above, but I think they've got to try something else. Like you mentioned that 
it seems to keep being a case of deja vu. They came, they seem, they seem to keep just losing every time in the first week of finals, except that one example where Isaac Smith missed. Um, so now's probably the time where you have to say, all right, let's change up our method. Let's do something different um, because it's just not working. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, it's interesting. Kane Corns, you know, often known for having uh, pretty strong views on uh, football topics. It's interesting what he said. Uh, he basically said, you know, that he, he he reckons, I think he said that he reckons that um, Chris Scott and his uh, whinging has had, a, has had a mental effect on the team. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, and it's difficult to know unless you're in the club, unless you're around the players, but they played like it. They played like they played like they had every single excuse in the world on their mind, ready to go in case they lost. I don't know what it is about them. They on paper are the best team in the competition, but for some reason, whenever uh, it's interesting, you're mentioning speed. They've carved teams to pieces this year. You saw that against West Coast in Geelong earlier this year, against the Bombers in the second and third quarter earlier this year, the second quarter against Melbourne in round 23. But it's almost like when they're confronted with another team that can also carve teams up, all of a sudden they don't know how to defend against it and they get caught out the back. They get caught on the rebound. So I'm not, uh, I'm kind of on the fence about ruling them out, but we'll get to that in a second. Let's get on to uh, the Sydney Swans. I want to ask you guys, are the Swans still to Buddy Franklin conscience? Let's go with uh, Fraser. You start with this one. Do they still rely on Buddy too much? Um, With Buddy, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, unless you're talking about that Hawthorne dynasty side that had way too many uh, avenues to goal and the 2013, 14, 15 can attest to that. Teams with Buddy Franklin, I mean, they're always going to be accused of being too focused on him. Sydney in the past have certainly looked to him too often and that was often because there was hardly really anyone else to kick to. We obviously had Tippett and that was brief and even when he was there, he was probably injured. So that was... Internet problems in Australia, dear listener. If you've ever been to Australia, you understand the pain and you understand the frustration of recording with Australian internet. For some reason, we have some of the slowest Wi-Fi in the world. Don't quote me on that, but I'm 99% sure that that's true. How do I know that's true? Because I live here and I use Australian Wi-Fi and it is always the, the, the snail's pace was it true that Wi-Fi was actually invented here or am I? I you might be right. I have heard that. And it's so that's that's even worse. It's even more embarrassing. <laughs> the fact that Wi-Fi was invented in this country and we still can't get it properly. We still can't get it right. Like that is absolutely ridiculous. Oh, goodness gracious me. This is a problem with recording in Australia, man. <laughs> especially in rural Australia, especially in rural Australia. Yes, yes. Um, I haven't had to deal with that, fortunately, but even here in 
worst match for Melbourne. It's uh, just as bad. Um, you, I'm actually lucky. I've got a new setup where I'm right next to the uh, the internet, but um, or the Wi-Fi module, but um, it still doesn't really give me that perfect connection, which is frustrating. Mate, I've been on my phone in the city on the train heading into the CBD to go to uni or whatever. And I kid you not, by the way, this is 100% going in the episode. I kid you <laughs> not, I've been on the, we've been stopping you know, the train goes past um, South Yarra station. It'll stop at South Yarra and there'll be no, I'll have no connection. I'm like, I'm in the city. Why is this? It? I'm not in the middle of nowhere i'm in the middle of melbourne why is there no connection speaking of connection welcome back fraser um <laughs> thanks guys now all good mate we were just talking about the uh the problems the struggles of having australian wi-fi like we get it the struggle is real the struggle is very very real yeah i know i know how you feel mate gee it was um it was a nervous moment. I was halfway through a sentence and then everything just went on me. I was like, oh, this can't be good. Uh, mate, um, uh, talking about the uh, swans and being too, uh, too buddy-focused, I think you're just talking about Kurt Tippett there. Yeah, I'll go back. Um, yeah, as a swan supporter, I mean, some like five years ago, it was, it was definitely hard to watch. I mean, just constantly kicking to buddy, um, there's definitely been some sort of evolution and obviously that comes with a, a better team around him and better players and a much um, much better functioning forward line. We've obviously got players like uh, Isaac Heaney who's really developed and come along. Um, there's signs for the future. We've obviously got a player in Logan McDonald who showed really good signs in the early season but um, obviously faded as the year went on. I mentioned Sam Reid. I'm not sure what his future looks like. But I definitely think there's been development in that area. I understand that um, that is the obvious critique of the Swans, um, especially when they don't kick a winning score, which they probably should have, but they didn't on the weekend. Um, but I still think that there's there's still definitely room for improvement in that forward line. Like even even at this point, it's definitely a lot better than it was in terms of being too um, focused on getting the ball to Buddy. But um, there's still improvement to be made in that sense. Um, I'm hopeful that there will be strides made and hopefully there's just more development coming. It's obviously a young list and that will help. And hopefully we can, um, the plus side about the Swans not keeping going is hopefully we can see Buddy um, get to the thousand next year with a packed MCG or at least a um, uh, packed SCG. One or the other, I'll take either. That'd be great. So hopefully the Swans are in that. Um, I'm not sure if they can break that top four barrier next year that would be if they can do that that would almost be as good as what they've done last year in terms of progression but if they can stick around that five to six slot I think that would be another um, good season so as a Swan supporter I'm hopeful and um, in terms of body I think there's still improvement to be made but there has been there's definitely been strides taken in that department just before we get to to, to you Eli I, I will say this AFL if you're listening Sydney Derby round one next year Packed SCG. The Swans haven't played in Sydney in round one since like 2017. Come on, it's about time that the Swans open up their season in Sydney. Not only that, but you get a big, big, big crowd. Obviously, big rivalry game. Swans will be out for revenge and Toby Green won't be there, which means that the Swans 
good chance to win. And imagine if Buddy Franklin was to kick his thousands goal then. And if that doesn't happen, round two, Friday night football at the MCG versus Hawthorne. Imagine well, that. Imagine. <laughs> mate, honestly, Travis Old, hire me. Hi, don't even, you know what? I'll do it for free. How about that? I'll do it for free. You're welcome. Okay, how about you, Eli? Five Swans, too buddy focused. Well, on that as well, before I before I start, I would like to say that if he is playing in Melbourne um, next year and he has a chance, if he hasn't kicked his thousands already and he has a chance, I will definitely be making sure I get down there and I'll be uh, ready in the fence in case. Yeah, um, don't, don't it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to say someone who isn't doesn't watch them as closely as you two, but I mean, he's still kicking goals. He passed 50 goals this year without even playing every game. So he's still a genuine threat. He's a super valuable target. But um, when your next key targets are, are smalls, medium forwards like um, Papley, Heaney, Hayward, um, or an inexperienced McLean, um, it's hard to provide or go to another genuine option as consistently. Um, but I mean, let's be honest, their style worked for him. Because they came from 16th to 6th. They knocked off Brisbane in early season, Richmond, Geelong, the Dogs, um, and they should have won a Saturday. So there's no reason to look to shift plans drastically um, unless there is another tall option that is viable enough, whether that's um, Sam Ray going on again um, or they do look for another key forward as they look to the future. Um, I'm not sure if Buddy's contract will allow them to, to spend enough money, but... Um, yeah. If you're paying him that much, why not, why not feed him the ball? And if he's kicking more than 50 goals, and bloody hell, he's he's still on fire. So, um, look, I, I, as a as a neutral, I see no reason to change. Um, but if there is another option that opens up, then by all means, use it because um, you can never it can never hurt having another key forward and coming up against a team like a Melbourne who have those three tall defenders and a couple of the medium defenders who are capable of playing taller, um, then it's not going to hurt Brisbane. We went with a three headed base for much of the season and you stretch the, you stretch defense uh, defenses. So um, if you can get another tall forward there, who's a genuine marking threat, then by all means go for it. But if not, yeah, no reason to change for me. I think they already kind of have one of those. So in Logan McDonald kind of feel like maybe, you know, not quite the next buddy Franklin, but he'll be that kind of next big target for the Swans. Um, and what a mentor to learn from Buddy Franklin for um, for young Logan. Um, you're, abs- you're absolutely right. But the problem with him, like, like Fraser said, he faded off. I'm not sure if he was out with injury or, or, or something else, but um, he started off strong, but he's a young player still. He's, he's, it's going to take him a couple of years to develop. Um, like I saw Ugo Hagen didn't get a game until later in the year and he still hasn't really set the world on fire. Not, not that you'd expect him to either. So, you give Logan McDonald another year under Buddy, that would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it won't hurt if you get another medium to talk forward who can mark in the air. It's um, Heaney's not going to take those speckies every week. Um, uh, you, you need just another tall body there. You can sit it on their head and you know they'll make a contest if not mark it. So um, no, that's certainly a great option. Um, but yeah, you can't rely on a, would it be 20 next year? Um, you can't rely on him to carry that load um he'd be best served as a third fourth option um taking the the third fourth best defender um and really exploiting and get, gaining some confidence that way you know it's really interesting um if we i if we kick straight in that last quarter we wouldn't be talking about this one exactly. in there, um but man i just i just 
I just wonder, Tom Hickey, if Tom Hickey doesn't play well and if Buddy isn't as accurate, then what do you do from the Swans' perspective? Who else do you have? They can float down there and take marks. You know, Heaney takes the spectacular marks. Is he as good, though, in the one-on-one? I'm not entirely sure. I, I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah, maybe they do need a um, – maybe they do need, like, a, a Ben King also from the Gold Coast. That would be quite nice, actually. Pretty <laughs> handy. <laughs> that would be pretty handy. Um, yeah, maybe they do rely on Buddy Franklin a little bit too much, to be honest. I don't want to talk about the Swans too much, to be honest with you. They don't make me very, very, very sad. Um Let's talk about the Brisbane Lions, though. One player who we haven't talked about yet is uh, Harris Andrews, one of the best defenders in the competition, had a bit of a quiet night um, just pulling up his statistics to, um, I think he only had like four marks the entire night, which is a very low number. Yeah, Aaliyah, Aaliyah, I think, had more than double that. And you saw the impact that he had on that game, especially in the first half. So I want to start off with you, Eli. Is it almost a case of, because you saw when Harris Andrews was quiet, you kind of allowed Melbourne to, to, especially their forward line, to dominate. Is it almost a case of no Harris Andrews, no Brisbane? I don't think so. He looks slow and sluggish, um, even losing foot races to Ben Brown, which you'd have to try really hard to do generally. Um, he doesn't have blistering pace. We know no that. offense, no offense, Ben Brown. <laughs> um, I have walked past Ben Brown in real life. He's massive and he'll absolutely eat me. So yeah, sorry, Ben Brown. But um, but yeah, I mean, he missed that last game against West Coast with some hamstring soreness that he was carrying for a few weeks before that. Um, so is he laboring? Possibly. It looked like it for sure. Um, but I think no matter what he did. We weren't winning that game. There was too much well-directed ball going inside 50 to stop. But he has good defenders around him now. Um, I mean, Gardner looks a shell of what he was before his shoulder injury. So um, I'm not sure what's happening with him. I thought possibly he might have injured his knee last week. Um, he looks quite proper. But Adams, is he's come on as a genuinely awesome defender um, this season. Same as Brandon Stasevich. And then you've got guys like Richard Birchall who use the ball well around him, well-experienced, not great one-on-one defenders, but they don't get exposed that much in the one-on-one contest. Um, then guys like Kitty and Coleman who's come in um, to provide a bit of speed off that back line. So there's depth, experience, um, and ability there to boost a poor Andrews game. Um, but like I said, that, that speed in the back half is more what we lack. And I think... The way we defend is a very aggressive um, forward position. Um, we aren't able to, especially against Melbourne, they're too quick for us to play that way. Um, so he got caught out so much by being so aggressive um, as someone who's not going to be the one using the ball going forward. If you're the one um, sitting off the back of a pack, letting one of their forwards uh, free, um, then and, and you're going to be using the ball, then... I can understand like a rich or a virtual, um, but that's not his role. He's there to defend the one-on-ones against their, probably their best forward um, and take those aerial marks. And he wasn't quite getting himself in good positions to do that. So um, if he has, a, if he has a great game, then it's a really, really solid backline. Um, but he was poor, but I think our pressure in the midfield and Melbourne's excellence in the midfield, I should credit um, didn't allow for his style of game, the way he was trying to play on the weekend, it didn't allow for it to flourish. 
Um, so yeah, we've certainly got a lot more options if he is to be poor. Um, but I think we've just seen Andrews play such a, a high standard for a few years now. Um, whether that's his spoiling, just the genuine one percenters or just physicality in the contest. Um, he probably hasn't had his best season, um, but expectations are so high of him. And I think he's only 25 years old. He's still got 25, 26. He's still got years to um, develop. Actually, I think he might be only be 25, yeah. So, look, it's not doomsday for us if he's poor. Um, it's up to the rest of the back six, seven um, to, to help lift him up. But he was poor on the weekend. I'll, I'll absolutely admit that. How about you, Fraser? The case of Harris Andrews plays poorly and Brisbane's premiership chances aren't as uh, aren't as strong, or do you think that they can kind of cover for a, an average performance? Well, I, I would defer to Eli on this, but I feel like when Brisbane's really flying, it's not like Harris Andrews is having a brilliant game every week. They're, Brisbane are flying when their offense is roaring, and that usually comes when their midfield is on top. And you've got, I mean, they obviously don't have hipwood at the moment, but Danaher's kicking goals. Cameron's looking dangerous. I mean, he's pretty much always looking dangerous, but in that case, he's definitely um, definitely finding the scoreboard. Um, it's it's a hard one with Harris Andrews because I mean, he's a he he definitely looks um, to be labouring, and I mean, no, we don't know that for sure, but um, the vision of at the start of the game when he kind of just went the other way to Ben Brown and that's been played in the media all way. But I mean, it's a two, he's a two time all Australian. Um, like you got to give him, you got to cut him some slack and Eli touched on it. Melbourne's work rate and their midfield just exposed um, Brisbane's midfield to the extent that Brisbane's um, backline was under pressure the whole game. And they kind of, to be fair, they almost did a good job to only lose by as much as they did. Um, Melbourne, are, Melbourne are so fit. You can just see every chain. There's always someone running past. They've always got someone free in their forward line. It would be a great time to be playing um, for Melbourne. They're great to watch. It wasn't great if you're a Brisbane supporter on the weekend, but was <laughs> Yeah, it was. Um, no, it was. It's a tough one. If Andrews is injured, obviously, um, it's a tough one to criticize him, but. And then, yeah, Darcy Gardner, um, Eli mentioned, it kind of did look like his um, knee um, was injured. And obviously, we, um, he's a really important part of that back line. So if he's um, hampered as well, then it's like um, they're going to be t- – at least they've got the dogs and the dogs aren't that tall. So they can probably cover it this weekend. So it's it's probably not the worst thing that could happen. Not that it's, good, not that it's a good thing. But um, – like I said, with Harris Andrews and Brisbane specifically, I feel like when Brisbane are roaring and um, up and about, it's not like Harris Andrews is having 15 marks. Like I don't like I don't see every Brisbane game, but I feel like that's definitely the case. And I defer to Eli there. Um, Andrews is an outstanding player, but often your best fullbacks and your best centre-half backs, they don't have to have that quarter like Aaliyah had on Friday night to be sensational. And I think he's still a great player. And um, I still think, especially against the dogs, we could definitely see him return to some um, good form against a, what is a relatively small um, back line. And you're absolutely right, Fraser. He's not going to be setting the world alight with his, these stats. Yep. Um, it's just his impact on the game. Like I said, those one percenters and those spoils, the things you don't really see on the stat sheet and his presence down there more than anything. 
Um, that's where you see him have a really good game. If he if he takes 10 marks and has 20 disposals, then we've probably had 30 points kicked on us. You're just probably not going to see that um, from him especially. So, um, yeah, the way that we've – if it was 2018, I would say, yeah, we rely on him too much. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, now we've got enough players around him to be able to carry him a little bit. So, um, yeah, he, he was poor, but um, for Melbourne, we're bloody good. Yep, I fully agree with that. Look, I'll be honest with you. I do not know enough about this topic, so let's move on to... <laughs> let's move on. No, look, I, I do agree the fact that, you know, Brisbane, they are at their best when their forward line is functioning really well, as Fred said. And it's not like Harris Andrews has set the world alight this year so far, even when Brisbane has been playing really well. So, no, I don't think it's a case of Harris Andrews plays poorly and Brisbane lose, because that's not true. Um, it, it just happened, so happened to coincide this weekend. You know, there wasn't a, a causation. Um, there was a, whatever the other word is. Um, now, I'm curious to ask you guys about the Bombers. How should Essendon uh, attack their future? What, what, how, how, how should they go about it? We'll um, start, with, uh, start with you there, Fraser. How should the Bombers go about entering 2022? What do they need to do between now and March? Yeah, I mean, Eli said before, I think they've, um, I definitely agree. I think they've overachieved this year. And um, yeah, I was, if I was an Essendon supporter, um, you've obviously got, it's a, it's a relatively young list. Um, you're losing players like Hooker and Zaharakis, but at the same time, you've got um, players that, are coming through that you're not thinking like, oh no, we're losing two great club, um, great great to the club. You've still got good things coming through, green green shoots as they say. So I think for Essendon, I mentioned it before, it's the forward line for me. Um, Aaron Francis and Peter Wright. We saw Peter Wright um, have a really good last um, few games prior to this weekend. Obviously, the conditions didn't really suit. And Aaron Francis is a really good player. Doesn't help that every off season it feels like he's linked to. South Australia, but um, he's a really good player. And whether they continue with him in the forward line or move him back, I'm not sure. Um, that's one thing that Ben Run's been good at. He's been good at um, throwing players around and um, finding where they're best. And um, I'm sure he'll continue to do that into next year. So, yeah, for me, um, a good barometer for a team like Essendon that I think overachieved um, and for like a Sydney even um, is their record against the top eight. And they were one and eight in the home and away season and one and nine, if you include the loss to the dogs. So it's, it's like, it's not going to be a cakewalk for them to um, just be in the finals again next year. And we've obviously seen, I think every time since they, every time they've made the finals in the last um, 15 odd years, since they won that final, their last final, so many days ago now, um, they have missed the finals of next year. So that's going to be the big thing. How can they get their list ready to hopefully get in that um, top half of the, I'm not sure if they can get in the top four, but in that five to six range, like I mentioned about the Swans, if they can do that and get a home final, set them up, set them up for a, a final win. That's um, obviously what the fans are after. And um, yeah, it's a tough one because we were talking about with Eli was mentioning it with Sydney, um, that other, another looking for another key for it. And there's not a surplus of them on the marketplace at the moment. One that comes to mind is, Sam Wiedemann, if they wanted to go down that kind of range, obviously he's not like a Joe Danaher, but um, whether they want to look at springing uh, someone who's been at another club or they want to keep going down this route of 
of the draft, which has obviously worked pretty well for them. Um, at the last draft, they got picked up some really nice, um, some nice players. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what um, Dodoro does. Um, he's much maligned, but um, I'm, I'm definitely interested to see. I think that's their big issue. The uh, maybe the defense could use a bit more depth, but midfield's obviously really solid now. Um, we saw the Nick Hind come across for St Kilda, um, come back for St Kilda, I guess you could say, and he looks really good. Hopefully, they'll get McDonald, Tip, and Woody back in. Um, he'll have a big preseason to be ready to go in round one. And um, yeah, I think it's just that key forward spot. So that's that's interesting um, for next year. That would be the one thing that I'd be. Um, uh, be thinking about if I was an Essendon supporter. Absolutely devastated. Still devastated that Nick Hine couldn't play on the weekend. Oh, not saying that he would have. Not saying that that we would have won had he was playing, but still would have been a lot closer. Um, that'd be you, Eli. Sticking to what you said before about the uh, about us lacking a um, lacking a tall forward option. Yeah, I think a lot of people got perhaps a little bit too excited about Peter Wright. He kicked, I think it was twenty nine goals this year, and he kicked seven in one of those games. Um, so don't get me wrong, he's a, certainly a great option, but um, you can't put him down as, a, as an elite key forward as of yet. Now, I'm not saying he can't get there, but he's a top 10 pick, he's, I, I think, actually. He's, um, yeah. he, he's, he certainly has that potential, and people have seen that potential in him from multiple clubs. So, um, yep, I, I still stand by that they overachieved. Um, and after signing Paris Stringer and Merritt, um, possibly among others as well that I'm not sure of, um, they might not have that room in the cap to land that big fish. Um, so just stay the course and keep developing these young players. A player might fall into your lap. Um, I don't think there's any reason to change what they're doing at this stage. Of course, depth will be brilliant if they can trade maybe some later picks for some key position depth. Um, like Fraser mentioned in that back half, Jaden Laverde probably looked a little bit um, outsized at times in, in the contest. He's... Um, I think he's best served as a, as a fourth defender, um, third maybe, but um, he was coming up against some good forwards at times. So if you get some more depth around him, more depth in that four line, um, I think it's going to be certainly beneficial for him. And every time I'm on the show, I keep bringing it back to Brisbane because that's what I know. But um, similar to us in 2019, we finished top two um, and we probably shouldn't have finished top two, let's be honest. Um, we went out in straight sets. So um, we just kept recruiting, kept getting more Keep, keep getting more players in um, without breaking the bank, so to say. You've got that you've got that core group already. Um, so stay the course and keep building that culture. You know, um, Sam Draper looks like a fantastic one around the around the club. Um, ben Rutten's obviously um, tried to develop that a lot, and I think that's the most important thing. You you don't want players wanting to leave, but you want players to be excited about the future um, and. I think that's what Brisbane did as well. You need players to buy into what you're trying to do. And it's clearly worked for them, getting, re-signing those three I mentioned before. Um, so stay the course, keep developing the young boys who have looked fantastic, as Fraser mentioned. Um, and it should uh, pay dividends. If it's not next year, it could be the year after or the year after that. Um, it's, it's a process. Um, and I don't think Don's fans should be expecting higher than eighth next year. Um, are they capable? Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of good teams in the competition at the moment. So um, stay the course, stay optimistic, um, and you should flourish in within the next five years. You should see um, quite a drastic improvement. 
sky is definitely blue at the Bombers. I will say this, two things I think we need to work on, just from a game plan point of view. We've got to stop conceding four, five, six, seven, eight goals in a row. It happened, if not every single game, than like every other game. I don't know the exact number, but I wouldn't be surprised if of our 23 games, we conceded a, a streak of at least four goals or more in like 20 of them or 21 of them. You know, it's like, oh, it was so depressing almost every single weekend to watch all of our hard work early just completely fall apart. Or when we played Brisbane and Port Adelaide early this year, the game be over at quarter time because we conceded the first five or six goals to them in both cases so got to fix that um forward line i think become a little bit more dangerous because at the moment it's kind of like if peter wright doesn't do anything it's jake stringer and if jake stringer or peter wright doesn't do anything then you're kind of in a lot of trouble um so yeah forward line needs a little bit more depth um i kind of like the idea of going to the draft and drafting someone sam wiedemann what he had one good final series in 2018 don't think he's done particularly much since, so I don't 100% trust him. I don't like the idea of him coming to Essendon, I'll be honest with you. But, yeah, maybe maybe you do go for someone. Um, I was going to say Mackay, but he's signed on recently, which is a shame. Um, so, yeah, you've got to, you just got to stop conceding massive amounts of goals in a row. Got to get the forward line functioning um, better, more efficiently, and honestly, it will come, those things will come because we're still a really young team. They will come with experience. They'll come with experience. We just need more preseasons into the players that we have. Maybe get a couple more. We'll be all right. We'll be all right. Um, I think the, the, the ceiling for us next year is winning a final. That's the ceiling for us. But yeah, we should... We shouldn't head into next year. And I think Matthew Lloyd pointed out when he said, don't head into next year, you know, all high and mighty, because really in reality, you were pretty much equal with, you know, Fremantle, St. Kilda, West Coast, Richmond, even Carlton this year. Um, and, you know, and you'll start level playing field with them and with everyone else round one next year. So don't act all high and mighty just because you made finals this time around. So interesting to see how we handle the pressure. And now... Finally, we get into previewing the two semifinals, two tantalizing matchups. It starts on Friday Night Football in Perth, Geelong versus GWS. Finally, these two teams are playing each other in finals. And I say finally because it's almost happened a couple of times um, so far. We've almost had a couple of Geelong versus GWS grand finals. But now we have a semifinal clash, first time that these two teams have played in September. It's in Perth. No Toby Green, packed at Dangerfield. I think the Cats said that he injured his hand either before the game against Port or during the game against Port, which is why he had that really bad drop on the on the, on the the wing. So my question is, we'll start with uh, you, Eli. Can the Cats rebound or will the Giants' pretty miraculous season continue? Yeah, it's a weird one. Um, I've never been good at tipping. And especially on this show, you'd be, <laughs> I don't think I'd even get half of the ones right. So um, it doesn't really matter what I, what I think when it comes to the tipping, but um, I'm back in GWS here. Um, I'm not even sure if that's a, a left-wing prediction. Um, if you had said that 10 weeks ago, I would have thought, yeah, you're out of your mind. But um, 
I think they've just carried a bit of momentum and finals all about momentum. Um, they last time they played as well was Sam Taylor absolutely gave, gave Tom Walker a bath. And um, I'll be, if Tom Hawkins came out and kicked eight, I'd be like, yeah, fair enough. But um, Jedi was playing good footy and they'll be confident after that win as well. So, um, yeah, you, you can't really predict it, uh, especially finals footy. Like I thought every every game on the weekend could have been close, but um, there's, as you mentioned earlier, there's only one good game. So, um, yeah, I, I've got GWS winning this one, hopefully in a close one. Uh, don't really know a margin. I might go, two, I might go two goals. How about you, Fraser? Are you going to be uh, bold like Eli is? Are you going to tip the uh, Giants? Are you going to tip the Cats? I'm tipping the Cats. I'm not sure if I'm comforted by Eli's admission that he's not very good at the tip, so maybe <laughs> a good sign. But um, the loss of uh, Toby and Tom Green, I think that'll hit GWS really hard. Um, Geelong, they bat pretty deep in the midfield. Obviously, got an injured, um, injured Paddy Dangerfield. I'm not sure. I'm not even, why would you? I don't understand why you release that into the media. I thought you wouldn't you keep that a secret. It seems a strange omission. But um, indeed, the return of Tui. I think that's it. Kind of it'll help them in the Tom Stewart um, area. Tui can. I mean, he's no Tom Stewart, but he can play that um, that role. So I'm expecting to see Tui go back um, instead of playing forward, which he's done a lot of this year. Um, the Giants' backline that was really tested against the Swans, and they managed to pass that test just by the barest of margins. Geelong's forward line is better, although it probably didn't look like it last Friday night. And um, I'm expecting them to put a, a good score on the board um, and set up a, a prelim final that um, is probably the most mouth-watering um, from here, Melbourne and um, Geelong. Although I think Melbourne would start a good favourite, but at least it would be kind of the... The two best um, Melbourne teams probably throughout the season. Um, so Geelong, they should win the midfield battle too um, with GWS's um, injuries through there. But GWS are obviously no slouch. Um, I'm hopeful that they recover um, Geelong's midfield. They were pretty they were pretty average last week. Um, I do agree with Eli in the sense that GWS will be competitive here. I mean, they're, no, they're not going to be a pushover. We saw Sam Taylor... Um, yeah, as we mentioned a bit earlier, I mean, he's just having a, a great season. Um, gave Tom Hawkins a bath, as Eli said. Um, so I think the size of Optus Stadium will help GDL, GWS. So I'm not expecting them to get blown away here. But I'd say, if I had to say, I'd probably say Geelong by four or five goals. Interesting. I cast a deciding vote. Interesting. <laughs> way am I going to go? Am I going to go with the Cats? Am I going to go with the Giants? Well, Eli, don't worry. You're not the only one tipping the Giants. I'm tipping wow. GWS to win. The last time they played a final without Toby Green went all right for the Giants. That was when they beat Collingwood in the prelim final in 2019. And consider the fact that that was at Collingwood's home ground in front of 77,000 rabid Collingwood supporters. Now you play Geelong, uh, potentially walking wounded with Patrick Dangerfield. Yeah, I agree with you, Fraser. That's a really, really weird thing that Geelong would admit there to the media. But potentially injured Dangerfield, They'll be sore and sorry for themselves, Geelong. GWS, they carry good momentum, I think, from last weekend. They'll win a close one. I'm tipping by about 10 points or so. Not the fact, It's also at a neutral round. Consider that. The only caveat is the Giants don't really play well in Perth. So they're going to have to overcome that if they want to win, obviously. On to Saturday. Uh, Saturday has been confirmed. I think Saturday night football. 
Brisbane versus the Western Bulldogs at the Gabba. Fraser, I'll let you start with this one. Will it be the Lions roaring or will it be the dogs barking? Well, it's been an interesting final series in terms of venue and time for the dogs because they wanted the game in Tassie to be at Adelaide and then that ended up obviously being in Tassie. And then they wanted this game to be during the day so they had more time to prepare if they if they won. And then they realised it was going to be 25 degrees during the day. So they were like, oh, can we please have it at night? And the AFL said, no, let's go twilight. And then they got they did get their way in the end, I guess, by getting it at, um, at night. So... It's an interesting matchup. Um, I hate to say it, and um, I've talked about it with you, Casper. We can't both wanting um, Brisbane to win, especially. I'm sure you are after the dogs um, handed it to the Bombers. And I'm sorry to say, Eli, but the more I look at the stats, the more I feel like the dogs are a really, really good chance of um, getting into a prelim. Uh, the home ground advantage is obviously huge to the Lions in this, but this uh, obviously won't be a, a cakewalk for them against the dogs. Um, who are probably, um, I think we'd all agree, with a better side throughout the home and away. Um, I think you could argue that Brisbane's ceiling might be higher when they're fully fit and firing, but they're just not at the moment. They've obviously got he put out. McStay's going to miss. Gardner's um, looking injured. I'm not sure about Harris Andrews. The jury's out um, whether he's carrying something. But um, I think this will come down to the midfield battle. And if the Dogs um, play like they did last week, not that that's a given the way they've been a bit inconsistent at the latter end of the year, um, I think they can win this. Um, Bontempelli was really, wasn't um, wasn't nowhere, but um, he was pretty quiet. So I'm expecting a big game out of him. So I'd say, um, I'd say the dogs in a in a in a tie one. I'd say six points. Hopefully we get a good final. How about you, Eli? Can your boys do it? Obviously going to have a lot of bias here. I'm hoping we can, but obviously the mixed stay injury is just going to hurt us so much. And like you mentioned earlier, Fraser, Fraser the um, dogs aren't super tall. Um, so that will work in our favour. But um, I'm genuinely curious as to which way we're going to go in terms of a replacement. Um, as of uh, the time of recording this podcast, the uh, final teams aren't out, I don't believe. Um, so I've honestly got no idea um, how we're going to line up to replace next day. Um, Fagan or confirmed Leicester will be back in. Archie's available for selection, um, but neither of them are going to be a key forward option for us. So I don't know which way we're going to go because our, our next best options are not a, not a season key forward um, in terms of guys like a, a Cam Ellis Yolman, who's just a big body. Joe Berry played a little bit more forward last week, but he's, he's only 193. I think he dropped a, an, an easy mark. He's not a key forward. Um, and then we've got other guys like Connor Ballenden, who's only played a couple games. Um, Connor McFadden, who hasn't played a game at all and he's not even a, a key forward size. So um, I'm not too sure which way we're going to go, which does worry me a little bit. Um, but I've got every bit of optimism in the world that we will get over the line. Um, and that's not based on anything at all. It's just based on being a Brisbane fan. So um, I hope footy wins this weekend. That's that's all it is. Um, like you said, Fraser, I wouldn't mind a good game if we, if we bundle out, then it's probably just a matter of bad timing for us. Um, in terms of injuries um, and not playing great footy at the end of the season as well hurt us. We pick up a couple of those games, we get a home qualifying final. That's that's a difference really. We might have even playing this week. Um, so it's just a few things like that that don't go your way. And it's probably, if we lose, it's probably just not our season, but I've got every bit of faith that we can win. Once again, I play the deciding vote. Very, very interesting. I don't know <laughs> if we do this. Uh, 
two games on the same weekend. I'm going with the Brisbane Lions. Now, I do think that this will be an interesting game. Could be a classic, but call me a salty Essendon supporter after what the dogs did last week. I'm tipping the Lions by eight goals. I think it might really smash the dogs. It would be an annihilation. Um, Look, I'm optimistic, but not that optimistic. (laughs) It's a shame the Bombers didn't win through because then we might have gotten a really good game on Saturday night. But anyway, um, I realized I completely forgot we were going to talk about Ross Lyon. Right, very quickly, Ross Lyon taking himself out, reportedly taking himself out of the race for the uh, senior coaching position for Carlton. Who's at this point, who's left? What you got, Brad Scott? Possibly you have some of the uh, candidates who made it to the final stages of the Collingwood job, couldn't quite get it. Maybe Adam Kingsley of Richmond and um, Jamie Graham over at West Coast. I want to ask you guys, we'll um, start with you, Eli. Who should Carlton go for? Should they go for experience and a Brad Scott or should they go the Collingwood, uh, the Collingwood route? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a difficult one because it, you don't really know exactly the you know, workings of the club because um, players reported that they well, it was reported that players reported that they weren't happy with Tiger on the year and now they were trying to back him up as he was being shown the door or not being shown the door, he was being forced out the door. Um, but, yeah, you don't really don't really know how a club's going to respond to it and the players are going to respond to a certain type of coach and we know the type of coach that Ross Lyon is. He's going to be a, a take-no-rubbish kind of operator and um, as Ed Langdon mentioned earlier in the week, he was often fearful of Ross Lyon as a lot of players were. So, um if they were to go, go down that path of an experienced coach, then you're taking with them, like we're talking about with Craig McRae, you're taking with them the way that they were coaching at another club. Obviously, as, as you mentioned, that's not going to be Russ Lyon. Um, and I'm pretty sure Brad Scott slotted into another role in the AFL, if I'm not mistaken, that, he's, um, that I would be surprised if he slips out of. Is that, have I read that right, Casper, or am I completely off the money? Uh, honestly, you're you're speaking out of my football knowledge, mate. I've got no idea. Okay, well, believe it that, that uh, I'm not sure Brad Scott might be the right fit um, because he's taken he's he's had a different uh, sort of role, um, a different sort of approach with uh, a different club entirely. So I think the route for them, um, the right route for them, might be to go for a new coach who's fresh to head coaching, but not obviously not. Um, not a not a newbie by any means, but um, yeah, someone who's been a solid assistant for a, um, a good amount of time, and um, someone who's genuinely wanting to take this position. You don't want to force someone or convince someone to take the role. You want someone who puts their hand up and is enthusiastic about coaching the club because they're in a they're in a pretty dire spot because they've got a they've still got a good list on paper. You think they've got a very good team, a good twenty two at least, um, or twenty three. Um, so it, it's not going to take a lot for them to be competitive at final four finals. And realistically, this year they're only two games out. They weren't they weren't that far out, but their best and their worst footy was just such a was so far um, apart. So um, for me, I'll be going a newer, uh, a brand new head coach, um, someone who wants to be at the club, and someone who's genuinely enthusiastic about taking that club forward to where they should be playing footy. Uh, oh, I muted myself. Apologies. You would think that after 18 months of using Zoom, I would know how to not mute myself. But there you go. <laughs> Fraser, uh, how about you? Ross, the boss is out. So who's going to be the uh, boss at Cows and who do you think it should be? It, it's a funny one. I, was, um, I saw the article and I was quite surprised. Um, 
Ross Lyon was on footy classified last night and it still seemed like he was enthusiastic about the potential of um, um, becoming a senior coach again with Carlton. And yeah, um, so the article was reported by Caroline Wilson. One thing I um, noted both from last night and footy classified, it didn't seem like, although Ross Lyon was keen on the opportunity, he didn't seem like he was keen on going through this process, which I think has been... I think Carlton said it's going to take almost two months to figure out who wants it unless they someone comes from nowhere. Um, so I can't imagine he was too keen on that idea. I mean, he's obviously he hasn't won a flag as a coach, but he's pretty, pretty successful. So I'm sure he was probably thinking, if I want it, it's probably mine. But perhaps that wasn't the case. Um, so also in the article, um, it's written by Caroline Wilson, um, Brad Lloyd, who's the football boss, um, apparently um, spoke to Brad Scott in the last few days about um, potentially putting his hand up for the job. Um, and then he would obviously be part of that process that we saw. Um, we saw a similar process, I guess, with Collingwood. It was exhaustive, but they did it during the season. So it's not as like, um, it's not as one of those things where it's like, um, if it's in the off season, then everyone's like, what is going on? If it's during the season, it's a bit covered. So it's going to be interesting how this is, this whole thing is covered. So apparently he's spoken to, Brad Scott, and apparently the Carlton board has also heard that there's a possibility that Alistair Clarkson may change his mind. So that's um, a big part of the decision, no doubt. <laughs> um, I can kind of sympathise with the Carlton board. I mean, if there's a tiny chance that Alistair Clarkson may reconsider and coach again next year, um, I think you'd want to be um, giving him every chance to coach your club. So it seems like Brad Scott and... Alistair Clarkson are maybe the ones they're really keen on. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. What about you, Casper? What are you thinking? With Al, I just want with Alistair Clarkson, do you do you really want to coach where your whole process of getting him is like, do you want to coach us? No. 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 Do you want to coach us? Okay, fine. I'll coach you. You stop asking me. Do you really want that? I don't know. And it's also what the last time, last few times that a premiership winning coach at another club or two come to Carlton, it hasn't really worked out. What is Mick Malthouse and Dennis Pagan? Yeah, sure. They had great careers at Carlton coaching those clubs, those two guys. And they're great coaches, Dennis Pagan and Mick Malthouse. Take nothing against them. But if you're a Carlton supporter, surely there's somewhere at the back of your mind thinking this Alistair Clarkson gig could possibly go the same way. Um, you look at the list and you would probably argue, you could argue, I would argue that Carlton's list is probably in a better shape than Collingwood because Carlton has a solid spine that you can build around and a solid group of players. You just need a coach to whip them into shape to say, yes, boys, you can attack, but you've got to defend just as hard, if not twice as hard, which I don't think David T did, or at least if he did, it never translated onto the field. Um, so I would probably... I don't think you need to go for uh, an inexperienced coach like what with Collingwood has done. Um, Collingwood is almost at the start of this little rebuild here. So it makes sense to go for a new coach. But in terms of an experienced coach, yeah, I mean, why not go for Brad Scott? You know, took North Melbourne almost to grand final back-to-back -back years. And that was, aside from maybe three or four really good players, that, those were average North Melbourne teams. And so the fact that he took them both to prelim finals in 2014 and 2015, it's fair play to him. But this whole shenanigans coaching carousel at Carlton, it's, it, it's been a disaster. And I'm 
willing to bet that it will continue to be an absolute circus for a while yet. Um, thank you, gents, for joining me for this episode. Uh, Eli, good luck for your lions, mate. Um, I'm, and I'm not just saying this as a salty Essendon supporter, but I hope Brisbane absolutely crushed the dogs. <laughs> uh, thank you. We need the uh, need the luck we can get with um, having to replace a key, key position player. So, no, certainly um, hoping to get over the line. But, of course, thank you for having me on the show. It's always good to talk footy when there's not much else we can do. And, uh, Fraser, wish you all the best, of course, mate, with the um, with the situation in New South Wales. Don't want to mention too much about the current situation because it is depressing, but um, thoughts are with you guys in New South Wales. The news out of there is pretty scary. Thanks, mate. Um, much appreciated. You've um, At times like this, all you can do is laugh, so it's been good to have a chat and um, uh, talk a bit of footy, talk a bit of rubbish. I'll just add one thing. The Age is reporting that... Um, Chris Scott is leaning to playing uh, Radagalia and um, against the Giants and Tui will come in for O'Connor. So my prayers may be answered in that department. Okay. Great call. Great call from you. Yeah, no, two good ins, two good ins for Geelong. Um, just quickly before I go, Radagalia versus Stanley versus um, whatever the other recommend is called. Who would you rather have? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, it's almost one of the ones where as I said a bit earlier, if you can't fight um, fire with fire in terms of speed, maybe they just go super tall and play Reece Stanley, uh, Radagalia, um, Cameron and Hawkins and end up moving Cameron um, up the ground, be that on a wing or onto a forward flank and let him like roam around. And I'm sure he could run a um, key position defender ragged knowing how fit and mobile he is. So that would be an interesting um, look for Geelong. It'd be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, how about you, Eli? Who would you rather be your uh, your main ruckman if you were a cat supporter? Uh, probably Stanley. He's probably the more experienced, genuine ruckman. Um, but yeah, if you were to bring in someone like Reddick Galea, you can have that direct rotation and that third tall forward, like Fraser said. So uh, probably not a bad option either way. And Reddick Galea's shown he's got a good pair of hands and can take some good marks. So um, you could stretch that GWS defence a little bit, but um, yeah, see how, see how they go and see how they line up because they've got a few options there now. They do indeed. Thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. Join me and a co-host next week to review all the action out of the semifinals, preview the prelim finals, and talk about all the big news in football. Until then, dust the dungeon.